but I was actually out surfing at a place up on the north coast a few weeks ago, and there was this guy out there on a stand-up paddleboard, and he paddled over to another guy, and he said, hey, uh, g'day, good to see you. He goes, um, just had me birthday. And the guy says, how old are you? And he said, I'm 75. This guy, he didn't look a day over 55. He was on a stand-up paddleboard paddling around the lineup like a fit kid in his 20s. It has to contribute to your mental construct of Mm -hmm. what you believe is possible. And that gave me a lot of hope that I've still got many, many years worth of surfing for me based on what I'm now aware of. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Schramko. Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 812. We'll be talking about the difference between pain and injury. This is going to be an important one if you're an entrepreneur and you're at all concerned about your health and insert important tip you should be. That's why I brought along Marianne Kane to talk about this today. Welcome, Marianne. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to get this right because it's uh, important in terms of your background. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm not a doctor. So um, we should just say, like, this podcast is for general information purposes. But I am interested in these topics, and we do cover these from time to time because I think personal effectiveness or self-effectiveness, it's actually at least a quarter of the stuff we talk about as entrepreneurs because I have this philosophy that your business will be a reflection of the founder or the owner. If you can't operate well, your business will often suffer. I mean, we know that if we have kids. We know that if we have multiple businesses competing for our attention, and we know that from time to time when we unfortunately see a business founder or owner get sick or have an accident or a mishap, their business will often suffer. So they are interlinked, which is why we bring this topic up. I just wanted to cover that in case you're listening to a podcast called Superfast Business and you think, why are we talking about pain and injury and bodies and health and stuff? Now, your background, Marianne, you're a cardiac nurse turned fitness coach. You have a site called equippedwithstrength.com. You've been helping people with progress towards their health goals, simple and compassionate training methods, which I like. You're a member of Superfast Business, which is how we met. Mm -hmm. You're often involved in discussions in there around your business. And you've also been in private discussions with me around when I have guests on the show talking about fitness. What I've come to discover is that all the different fitness people have different models of how the world works and different philosophies on what's the way, right or wrong, etc. And I have to be careful because I'm not trained in fitness. I'm not a health professional in making sure that whatever messaging we have is at least the best available to me. So sometimes I do get some blowback. It's a hard one. These fitness things, like when I have a vegan versus a carnivore, they are at opposite ends of the spectrum and they are both right in their own world. And it's sometimes very hard to pull out, you know, the common traits or find things that they actually agree on. So I'm interested to hear on your point of view today, Marianne, and to come up with some useful tips for us as entrepreneurs. I've often talked on this show about my own journey with pain and ways that I can deal with that. I've had lots and lots of help from my listeners who are good at the things they do. Everyone from the guy who took me through using foam rollers through to another guy who showed me exercises I can do to strengthen my muscles 
people have alternative points of view on if you can even fix the things that have been annoying me, which is fascinating because I get such different stories when I go to a doctor versus some of the more out there thinkers who I have in my world. I got some crazies, like I'm telling you, crazies <laughs> on the far edge of the edge, right through to, you know, the mainstream GP. So it's such a minefield. How do you even figure out your position in this world, Marianne? Oh my goodness. It is such a minefield and you're right. I'm nervous even coming on because <laughs> I know somebody's going to disagree with me and think that I'm all wrong. But the good thing is that everything in fitness and health, not everything in health, but at least everything in fitness is usually it depends. And there's never a black and white. If somebody's trying to say a black and white, you know that they I don't know what they're talking about or they're trying to sell you something, you know, very special and everything like that. So you have to, I think, take things with a pinch of salt. But it's very hard to sort of know what is right. And I think from a consumer's point of view, it's really difficult. Like if you're not even aware of like the research and things that are going on, then you're just kind of getting maybe stuff in a lag of five years. You're still kind of getting that information that's filtering through. And, uh, you know, when I see people going into fitness, especially as maybe a beginner or they're not sure where to start, or like you, they already have something existing, like a, a persistent pain type of thing. Like I did, I started into fitness because I was in pain and I wanted to fix it. And a lot of people get into fitness because they think that they're dysfunctional in some way and then they look for a fix. They look for fitness to fix them. And that's where it really gets interesting because it doesn't always fix you. It might help for a while, but it doesn't stick. And so you're kind of going through different methods and trying to find another thing that's going to help, and that'll help for a while. It leaves out a huge part of the puzzle, because in that sort of journey, you're looking at one aspect of the person, and that's their body, and their bio side of things, the biomechanics and how you move and all that. And that turns out to be a pretty small part of the picture because the other elements, the bio, the psycho, and the social, I always think of it in this way. This will illustrate it. When you have a young child and they fall, which they do a lot, they don't often cry right away. They look up, first of all, to see what the carer's reaction is before they react to their own you know, mishap. And if the parent or whoever overreacts, they will overreact eventually. Like it becomes this sort of socialized behavior. Unless they're really hurt, then most of the time they're just looking to see how should I be reacting right now to this? And much of that is sort of placed on us by society. You know yourself, you've probably been in doctor's offices or a physio or a chiro or whatever. And you see on the a picture, usually a poster on the wall, it's got somebody holding their back and shows you like the anatomy or their knee. And it's this big red circle showing like inflammation. And it just gives you this image of my body is so frail or, oh, there's loads of things that could go wrong with me. And I better be careful because I don't want to end up making things worse. And that's the psychology and the feelings and the beliefs that you have about your body play a huge role in how you move what you believe about the movement, whether you think it's safe. And if you get injured or if you have pain, what you believe is going to happen to you and how that's going to resolve. And these things really play and feed into how you move, which often end up being very stiff, protective, and you reduce the movement variability, like how much you actually move. 
ironically, when you're exercising. So you try to find the perfect way to squat or you try to find, oh, I'm bending my back too much in the deadlift. I don't want to do that because I might damage my back more. So it becomes this hypervigilance about your body when an actual what you maybe should be doing instead is trusting your body and believing in its resilience and believing in the fact that it can heal. And oftentimes persistent pain isn't necessarily about the physical damage, but the guarding and the fear that goes about what you think is going on inside your body. This is profoundly powerful. I mean, you're resonating with me a lot because I've got five kids. I've definitely seen that thing you talk about where they're looking for the reaction. I've seen, for example, my daughter might do a a little cough like, (coughs) and then look around and then say, bless you. Like they're learning this behavior. I'm thinking about what you're saying about the pain, Mm -hmm. how you view that, whether you want to become a victim and feel like, oh, I'm just degenerating. Mm -hmm. Woe is me. I'm frail. You know, and as I approach different milestones in my age, it's easy to fall into that trap, you know, you're going down. But I was actually out surfing at a place up on the north coast a few weeks ago, and there was this guy out there on a stand-up paddleboard, and he paddled over to another guy, and he said, hey, uh, g'day, good to see you. He goes, um, just had me birthday. And the guy says, how old are you? And he said, I'm 75. This guy, he didn't look a day over 55. He was on a stand-up paddleboard paddling around the lineup like a fit kid in his 20s. It has to contribute to your mental construct Mm -hmm. of what you believe is possible. And that gave me a lot of hope that I've still got many, many years worth of surfing for me based on what I'm now aware of. And uh, I remember listening to some audio cassette series. This is really dating me, but it would have been in the early 90s. And the guy was talking about how when people phone in for a sick day, that if they put on enough of an act to fake being sick, they can actually cause them being sick, like the psychosomatics, I think they call it. Mm, I'm not sure what the correct word is, but I'm sure a listener will correct me. (laughs) And then these days we see people like Wim Hof, who talks about having mind control to be able to endure ice baths or change your mm. physiological scenario when they inject you with bacteria and things and you can fight it. There has to be a lot said for our mental ability to kick in and overcome physical mm-hmm. constraints. And I know for me, like when winter came around a few years back, I started to feel like the Tin Man with no oil. I felt like I was rusting up inside. I just couldn't actually move easily. And you wrote this little one line in a recent email that I think indicated to me proof of what the solution was. And I think you said motion is the lotion. Mm. And just moving and keeping moving has been a transformer for me. And I was just talking about this on a previous episode with Dean Jackson. Mm -hmm. This year of pandemic or COVID, not traveling, I've literally surfed more than I've ever surfed in my life in the last 12 months. I've surfed more than 365 times in the last 365 days. And my body's got the least amount of pain that I've had for at least five years. Mm. The interesting thing that really just to sort of continue on what you've already said in this first part of the podcast is in the activity that I do with surfing, there are a lot of Mm -hmm. movements. I'm carrying the board on my left, on my right, bending down and standing up. I'm arching my back. I'm duck diving. I'm getting rolled and rumbled by the ocean. There's a lot of balance and body movements involved. It's quite a imprecise sport mm. in many ways. It's like every time I go out there, 
the landscape is different and I have to adapt. So maybe that's part of my solution, but I'm going to stick with that. I should continue to surf as much as possible is the main outcome I got from what you said so far. Yeah, definitely. You know, with the movement being lotion type of thing, I think sometimes, especially as we age, the expectation is that you would have wear and tear and people should do away with that language for a start. So language is really important as well. And this is true even of copy, right? So in, in your business, like you don't tell people, like the image of that is just horrible. You're not a machine and you're not wearing out your parts because the body can heal. It's a living thing. But also if you're moving, but you're afraid, you're working against yourself. It's the difference between seeking better movement or feeling good versus avoiding harm. Both things can lead to you being stronger, but which one is going to be the more pleasant experience and the more pleasant journey? When I started in fitness, I was avoiding harm. I was constantly trying to fix something, an autoimmune inflammation thing underneath everything. So I was going to all these doctors and then I got really strong. And I was able to deadlift like 12 and I went, I was still having pain. Physios and people would tell me, oh, it's because you need to get strong. I'm like, well, how strong do I have to get? I'm already doing all this stuff. And the things that bothered me weren't like deadlifting or like exercise. The things that bothered my pain were actually rolling in bed and trying to walk, <laughs> like totally benign movements and everyday stuff. That's whenever I was affected the most. But what turned out was probably the case was I was so guarded and afraid. I was very rigid in my movement. So I was very stiff, a tin man. It was just, and so I was able to lift loads in those controlled movements. But then when I was doing normal things, it was just like, why am I getting this? So I was under recovered. It wasn't that my core was weak, it was tired. I was so busy holding myself so I wouldn't bend my back the wrong way that it was just exhausted. So, of course, I was feeling more pain because if you're under recovered, the fatigue is something that's going to influence whether or not you maybe experience pain and whether you get injured. And the factors. So I talk about like what actually causes these things to happen or, you know, what are those factors that you should look out for and you know, your exercise and your posture is another one. People like I have to stay up really straight, keep my shoulders back. And then you're holding yourself even stiffer, afraid to be slouchy and relaxed. Probably slouchy and relaxed is better. So when you're talking about the sort of things you might look for, what you believe obviously is important. But whether you've been injured before is a pretty good predictor. It's up for debate. So you'll probably get an email <laughs> saying that that's wrong. But I'm just saying I'll preface that with like it is debated. But it does look like that's a good predictor of future injury. When it comes to pain, it's how well have you slept? How stressed are you? And also, what do you believe about pain? Those things are way more important. They sort of weigh down the balance way more than, well, how are you running? Or what squat are you doing? Or, you know, those types of things. So it really does. And as you age, so back to the wear and tear, I hear this all the time. My doctor told me I've got osteoarthritis and I'm not allowed to lift any weights. So if movement is medicine, but your doctor's basically restricting what you do and you're getting the message that you shouldn't move, even though there's other ways to move. But what people hear is I'm not allowed to do anything, but I'm supposed to move. So what am I supposed to do? What's shown is like those wear and tear is just a normal process, just like our skin gets wrinkles, is that a lot of those things would happen underneath as well. And there's studies like they scanned like kids, like young kids and also teenagers who were like athletes, pro athletes, 
And they're carrying around all sorts of like osteoarthritis, degeneration, all of the usual things that we think are bad turned out to be pretty normal things that go on in everybody's bodies at some point. And sometimes they matter in a, if you have pain, but other times and most times they don't matter. And several years ago, it was in, oh gosh, it must have been 2015 or 2016. I went to San Diego Pain Summit and my husband happened to be speaking there, but I listened to a keynote speak, but actually from fellow Australian professor, Peter O'Sullivan, he's based in Kurt University. And he spoke about this idea where when people are scanning you left, right and center, you turn up to the doctor back pain then they scan people way too much. They do too many images because they're so sensitive now, those tests, that they pick up everything. And so then the doctor's telling you all these things that are on it and you're like, you don't know that it's normal. So they'll say things like, you have the back of an 80-year-old and you're one like bend away from your back exploding. Basically, they make it sound so dramatic and horribly scary that it sends you down a path of usually disability and more pain and trying to fix everything. So it's just fascinating to me when I heard that something like where there's more scanners, there's more disability with pain. And especially in America, because it's a business. So there's no disincentive to scan people. It happened to me. Mm. When I found I was seizing up in winter, I went and they did an MRI and they said, well, we've got osteoarthritis, you know, the osteophytes of pinching, getting close to squeezing your nerves, and it's making your neck not move, mm. which is why you can't turn your head. I, I literally couldn't go like this. Mm. It was so bad. Wow. I mean, now I've got a full range of movement. I just got to watch that double chin. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, so what can I do about it? And she said, there's no cure for it. There's nothing you can do about it. She said, you can take this tablet if the pain is too much. And she's prescribed me this like 24-hour painkiller thing that's like a super ibuprofen mm -hmm. thing that would just rip your guts to pieces and right. put you in a daisy state. And I then became a bit sceptical. This just really smells a lot like a pharmaceutical company's solution to the problem. But what I later discovered is, firstly, those tablets are not good for you. Secondly, the scans are apparently not that accurate. Like the second time I had one, the osteophytes were less than the first time I had one. This is three years apart. And in those three years, I had help from my friend Tomas and he gave me exercises to do and he gave me a blow up ball to do stretches on and a movement to do near the wall. His theory was that it's the muscles supporting the neck that if I could strengthen those, that then it would release the body's need to build those osteophytes and that he had seen evidence where they can be reduced, which the doctor told me is impossible. So that's when it comes down to who do you believe? But I tell you what I do believe is that I now have a lot more range of movement and a lot less pain than I did years ago. And I didn't go down the path of believing mm -hmm. I'm disabled and that I need to take this thing. I imagine I would be uh, overweight, unhappy, depressed, and shorten my lifespan if I believed that path. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's my personal experience on it. And I am grateful that I got some other points of view, but really comes back to the mindset. And that the funny thing about pain now, <laughs> I've got such a relationship with pain because I've had pain on a pretty much daily basis for many years, even though it's like this low-level dull pain. Mm -hmm. The only time I didn't have it was when I had a minor surgery and they gave me an oxy tablet, like an endone or something it was called. And I just, I remembered what it was like to be in no pain. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, the feeling of being doped out on a drug like that is not ideal. And mm -hmm. I can see why people get addicted to those things, which is why you have to have a prescription and they rarely prescribe them in Australia. 
So it's a, it's a side note. These days when I do get an injury, which I get from time to time, like a week ago, I took off on a very big wave that the bottom dropped out of it and I just mm-hmm. fell through the air and landed on my board and I put my knee through the board and it scuffed my knee and my shin. The fins sort of flipped into my thighs, so I got these big bruises the size of your hand on both of my legs in three places. And my reaction was kind of like, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about that now except just wait for it to heal. Mm -hmm. And uh, it healed very quickly, and I didn't focus on the pain. And I was sort of thinking, and it's a bit cheeky, I'm like, well, at least I'm used to pain and I can embrace it. And it's actually made this way less of an inconvenience than it might have been if it was a shock to my body. Like, mm. I think what I'm learning is that embracing that pain and making it a teacher in a way, I'm super sensitive. Like if I go to the dentist and he wants to put a needle in me, mm. he has to do two doses because I can feel everything. I'm really tuned into my nerves now mm. compared to before. I'm super sensitive to food. So I think if you can embrace it, you can actually develop resilience now I can go into colder water in winter and I can duck dive in and you know, get that ice cream effect in the first paddle out and deal with it. But I used to be a bit more um, sensitive or concerned about it. So I think it's given me some different relationship with fear mm. and endurance. It's interesting when you said about like there is a level of acceptance. So for the example of say like a persistent pain that kind of comes up quite often, it's like your body... It's not correlated, in your case, it was correlated with tissue damage. But, um, you know, if you're kind of feeling you know, achy back or achy neck and shoulders, things like that, especially when maybe you're trying to do exercise, then it's not really well correlated with tissue damage. I think people have this idea, which I used to before I, I learned this, was that the pain is coming from the tissue to tell the brain that there's an injury. So it means there's already something happened. But your nerves bring information, just information, sensory stuff to the brain and the brain interprets it and it decides whether or not it matters in that moment, whether you feel a lot of pain or whether you don't. And it sends pain then to an area for you to feel. And it's usually telling you just to change something. And that doesn't mean movement necessarily, although that's something you can change. Your position maybe on that day, like let's say you did a squat. Say you're learning how to squat and you start feeling knee pain. You're like, ah, oh no, like I can't squat now. I shouldn't squat. Should you avoid the squat or could you change your stance? Could you stand with one foot in front, more staggered, sit onto a box instead of trying to squat freely? There's loads of different ways you could vary based on the information that your knee didn't like that position today. And that's only maybe short term. It might be the next time is fine. But when I think about how you experience pain, it can be way worse and way more scary when you think that that means, oh, no, there's something really wrong here. But when you can kind of talk yourself off that ledge and kind of, you know, remember that pain is there to help us. And pain is often a perceived threat by your nervous system or your systems inside. So whatever big (laughs) network is going on in there is assessing everything and not just what you're doing in that moment, but Are you carrying a lot of, you know, off your game in your mind because you're thinking about all the things you didn't get done? Or have you been up three nights in a row with your baby? Or, you know, if you've been sick, all of those things play such a role. You kind of carry those into a workout with you. Or if you're going out surfing, like if you're not focused or you're not in the game, then sometimes that stuff can really mess up, you know, your kind of situation 
But some of the things with regard to like accepting pain and embracing it was something I really struggled with. I kept getting like this message from like physios, oh, we're going to help you manage this pain or live with it. I was like, I don't want to live with pain. Like I don't want any pain. Like my expectation was that somebody was going to take it all away and that didn't quite happen. So there was a level of having to learn to accept that for now, this pain is going to be around. But over time, as I learned not to be afraid of it, the alarm sound started to go down and little flare-ups happened further and further apart from each other. And that was when I started to realize this is actually working. I'm not freaking out as much anymore when I get pain. And so there was that kind of weird, okay, I've got pain. That doesn't mean that there's something majorly wrong. Yeah, like I noticed uh, when I changed beds, mm. it helped a lot. And when I built my business extra strong, I felt like I was able to separate myself from having the flashbacks that I would get from my old career when I was, you know, really in a pressure cooker. I used to get these dreadful sort of nightmares of st- my nightmare is that I'm still working in a car dealership. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's the one that haunts me. But as I create space from that old role and realize that I don't have to do that, that I'm in a better position now, it let the pressure off. So I think improving sleep, learning to breathe through my nose, big one. Thank you, Matt Dipple, for that one. And improving my bed, I got a different type of mattress and it made a big difference. And then this sustained surfing festival that I've experienced has, I've completely eliminated Mm. all lower back pain that I was suffering for whatever reason, I think I've just built up a lot more muscles that can handle a greater range of movement. And yes, when I have a a very easy to identify injury, like if I break a rib, I just know, okay, well, in six weeks, I won't be in any pain. And this is the process I'm going to have to go through. And I've been there before and I can deal with it and then just put it to the side. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree with you. The ones you don't know what they are are the worst ones. Totally the worst ones. And you know, one thing I learned was I kept looking for the reason why it had happened, like what caused it. And it turns out that much of the time you can't tell what caused it because once the initial thing has happened, other systems kind of roll it, like snowball it. So they take over. And so it's not why did it first happen, but what can I do to now to help reduce this? And uh, so much of it is just trust. It sounds so like easy. It's not easy to do at all. It took years. But my role in it is to help people who are worried about starting something because they're afraid of either making something if maybe they've been out of fitness for a long time because of an injury or sickness or life just happened. And so they're wanting to get back in safely and sensibly and they don't know where to start and what sort of to do. People look for the right thing to do and the best thing to do. And they want to get everything perfect to ensure their safety, but also their results. And often that's not usually the right question to ask. It's usually, well, what is something that is right for me? What's best for me? And so I do recommend speaking to somebody who knows about that stuff so that they can help you navigate like what would be a good frequency to start at at exercise or what exercise choice would be a good one? How many reps, how many sets, those types of things, if you're into strength training, but it doesn't have to be strength training. Like you find joy in surfing and I guarantee it was probably you're out in the big outdoors in the sea and it's enjoyable. And so your brain's like, I don't care what's going on on the back. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like this is much better. And so movement, mm. relaxing, enjoying all of those factors are just like the best kind of scenario for not experiencing that anymore. 
compared to like the environment you'd been in before, probably when you'd had, you know, back pain. It's usually when it's like a high stress situation. It's like it just keeps getting better and better. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow and the next day, the waves will be back up to about 10 feet. Wow. (laughs) You know, a few years back, I would very cautiously try and paddle out in that. I'd either get smashed back to the beach or I'd manage to get out if I was lucky and I found a rip to get out. And then I'd be out there and I'd be a little bit panicky about like, oh my God, how am I going to get back in? You go through this learning curve where you can actually get out, but you can't get back in. Mm. It's like, what's my plan now? (laughs) Am I going to ditch the board and try and body surf in? Uh, Should I let one of the other surfers next to me know that I'm in trouble or what? But now it's total enjoyment. Like I'm right in the zone where it's happy and fun and I've been there plenty of times before. I know exactly how to manage it. It's still scary and exciting, but it's the high and the thrill that you get from it in a calculated risk. You know, mm. it's invigorating. And yes, everything else just disappears. Yeah. There's nothing else to think about but being in that moment, which I think is the best thing of all, especially for anyone who's spending way too much time on a computer device or social media or in an office. Mm-hmm. I literally spend like four or five hours a week in this room now. Mm. That's it because I want to be out. I want to be in different positions. I want to be moving around. So a couple of takeaways I've got. One is that our belief system is very, very modifiable. Mm -hmm. We can control our belief system and that's going to dictate our outcome. I've been through that personal journey. Two is that we can be way more aware of our body by listening to it. It's sending us messages if we want to tune into them. A lot of people aren't receiving them. Especially, I imagine, if you are taking pain blockers or using devices to restrict movement, etc., you've actually cancelled out an enormous amount of feedback that's available to you, Mm. which is why I know a few people who don't take painkillers, even if they're hurting, (laughs) because they want to be receiving all the messages and to know if they're going further. It's a personal choice. And the third thing is that a lot of people overtrain or they have underlying reasons why they're getting more exposure to the risk of injury, in particular lack of sleep, lack of focus, just overdoing it or spending so much energy trying to do it right with the technique that they're burning a lot more bandwidth than if they just focused on being more organic about it. These are the pickups I'm getting. Just let me know if I'm on track or not. Yeah, and so... I talked about this. I did an episode of my own podcast with my husband and also a guy called Travis Pollan. And with Travis, I talked about what causes injury. And with Jonathan, I talked about the difference between pain and injury. But one of the examples I used was there's this episode of Frasier and probably nobody watched it and only me. But it was Frasier was trying to learn to ride a bicycle when he was like 50 year old man. And he said, I could never learn because I kept crashing. And so he only focused on the thing he might crash into. So it became a self-fulfilling prophecy every single time because he was focusing on what he didn't want to happen. And so I know it's like you don't want to get injured. Nobody does. But if you're looking after yourself and you're sleeping and you're managing your stress and you're seeking to be enjoying your movement, seeking health rather than avoiding harm, then those things are going to basically turn out better. Even if you did get injured, your body heals. And, you know, if you have access to a good physio or, you know, if something did happen, give yourself rest modify things and listen to your body as well let yourself recover people don't recover and then they're tense and then they go on train and then they're tense and they're not sleeping and all of the things it's just like you don't need to do so much like you don't need to do so much like people get caught in the details it's like what I do but like my own business stuff like I get caught in all these details and I get all like stressed 
but I don't do that in exercise anymore, but I used to. And I know what it's like trying to get everything right. And then you wonder why it's not sustainable. And you wonder why you're burning out. You're starting and you're stopping. You're doing your fitness for a while and then you stop because it gets too much or you start getting that ache again and then you just put it off. You think, oh, I'll just stick to walking or I'll just stick to whatever. And walking's great, don't get me wrong, but I think that strength and movement variability, like changing those movements is so important as well. Exposing your body to novel movement is also a great thing for like your mind and also your body. So I think I'd heard like, uh, it was one of your podcasts that was talking about the idea of like people sitting a lot. And this is something that's come up uh, a few times. Oh, I sit so much. I'm so stressed. Maybe people do have to sit and they don't have like the four-hour work week type of thing. Nobody has a four-hour work week. Let's just clear that up. Not no. even the, the four-hour work week guy. It's very unusual. <laughs> Impossible. But if you're sitting like hunched over a computer, you might even work like that stress. Oh, I'm sitting here all day. Like you see the research on sitting and you freak out. That's adding to your stress. But if focus is on the wrong piece, yes, you're sitting a lot, but our ancestors sat a lot. Nobody wanted to burn energy when they didn't have to. Nobody was running marathons when they didn't have to. Well, our ancestors didn't have a refrigerator. No, they didn't. <laughs> it could be a long time between antelopes <laughs> yeah. or the seasonal berries. But our bodies haven't changed. Our bodies don't know that. <laughs> they still have evolved that way. It can sit. I hear what you're saying. I know if, like when I'm listening to my body, it's just saying, oh, God, I just don't want to be here, please, because I spent too long at a computer. I spent many years where I was all day at the computer, and I went through a phase where I just no longer could wear headphones. I just didn't want to wear headphones anymore. I just went loudspeaker only. I only wear them now because my podcast editor says, please wear your headphones. I'm getting feedback. As soon as this call's finished, though, they're getting ripped out of the computer. I, I want to be free. I'm a free-range operator now. I don't wear shoes I am wearing pants in case you're wondering. <laughs> but the thing is, I'm listening to my body. It's just had enough. It's said enough. Just be somewhere else. If we weren't recording, I'd be doing this call from a playing field or from my car at the beach watching the waves. I find there's so much therapy in just watching the surf. Mm -hmm. Sounds stupid, but when I lived on the front row and I was, I probably spent two or three hours a day watching the water through the binoculars and listening to that tranquil wave crashing on the beach. And it just puts you in a most relaxed state ever. And now I'm like a couple of rows back. I can just hear it on a big day, but I can't see it. So we'll get back to that one day. But I think it's very important to find your place that makes you the most switched on or happy. Definitely. That's a big takeaway. And move more. Don't worry about sitting move more. Where can we find out about your stuff, Marianne? Well, Equip with Strength is my membership. I do sustainable workouts on demand, uh, kettlebells and body weight, if you like that sort of thing. And I have the Equip with Strength podcast, if you wanted to catch those two episodes that I talked about. And then I have a blog called My Oh My Fitness, and that's where all my free workouts were when I was documenting my own journey. So you can definitely check that out. And a recent program that I've just launched is Get Glutes, and that's at getglutes.com. And that is exactly what it says. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's officially the most resources ever listed by Yeah, so many. <laughs> that's great. I think we're going to have to put these where we put the episode. Thanks very much. Uh, 812. Thank you, Marianne. I know these episodes may not be for everyone. I connect with them a lot because as I'm journeying through my life, these things have come up. They've been important. I've had periods where I wasn't as active as I could have been when I was working too much. I'm now you know, clearly with my work less make more way of living. 
I put a massive focus on health and well-being. I feel the best I've ever felt for health and fitness since probably my teens or early 20s. So it's definitely been working for me to listen to these people who come along on the show. And even if you get one or two ideas and you can incorporate that, then it's been worth, you know, if you got this far into the podcast, obviously it's been of interest to you. So thank you so much. Thanks for being a member of Superfast Business. And I love watching your business go through its own transformation. And as you apply the same ideas that you have for fitness, you know, thank you. just listen to your audience. Go with the simple moves and it will be prosperous as well. I look forward to seeing how that goes. Thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.